Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Minnesota Twins with a late rally, eight, the Cleveland Guardians, three. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And it's the thing I'm going to keep talking about till the season's over. It's the thing I'm going to keep enjoying until the final out of 2023. Because, it, you know, at this point, it, it doesn't look like the Guardians are going to complete that uh, comeback playoff run. It's looking pretty dark right now. It's looking pretty dark in, in Guardians fandom. And uh, we're going to do the same thing that we planned on doing before all this waiver wire madness gave us a glimmer of hope, right? I'll admit we got a little positive for a minute on this show. We try to keep it positive on the show, and that's because the front office signaled to us that, hey, there's some hope. And because of that hope, we're going to go out and get a starting pitcher and two relievers, and we'll see what they have in the tank. Well, it turns out uh, the relievers aren't too shabby, but uh, the starting pitcher was pretty rough. So, Minnesota now has taken two out of three in this series with a chance to sweep tomorrow. It's going to be another tough pitching matchup uh, going tomorrow. They got Ryan going. We got Gavin Williams. Uh, So, the Guardians hitters have their work cut out for them again. And, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to continue to do what we did before all that waiver wire stuff, which is focus on the positives. Find some positives in these games. Find some things to latch onto and, and make the best of a bad situation here down the stretch. Again, Guardians have no one to blame but themselves for putting themselves in this situation, right? Uh, you know, we expect a little bit more out of some of these players. We expect more out of our front office. And, you know, I hate to say it today, but we yeah, we expect more out of our manager. Now, I'm sure you heard the big news before the game, which is Terry Francona, again, hasn't officially announced he's retiring, but pretty much on MLB Network gave an interview that indicates he's retiring. Um, so he, asked, he he doesn't want that treatment that Miguel Cabrera is getting where they, you know, he goes around and everybody gives him a guitar or whatever the city would give out to honor their city. But he uh, doesn't want that treatment, but we just wants to focus on baseball have a normal September, and then uh, right off into the sunset. Um, and he, he, we will celebrate him. We will discuss him. We will discuss his legacy. That's probably for the offseason. That's probably for future episodes. Um, not today. It's probably not for today, even though the news becomes a little more concrete today. While, while it's in my mind, before I forget, before the episode's over, the latest rumor, and Andre Knott was kind of pushing this uh, on the radio this morning, is that maybe uh, Will Venable, uh, former San Diego Padres outfielder, former Princeton grad, uh, who's been bouncing around um, as a base coach, kind of, you know, cutting his teeth in the coaching world. He was a base coach at first and third for a few teams. Uh, most recently, he's been with Texas as an assistant manager, basically. I, it's not like a bench coach situation, I don't think, but basically studying to be a major league manager. And He's interviewed with other teams, but never landed a job. So he's a name uh, that Andre and I threw out there to keep your eye on. So uh, we'll add that to some of the other names that we've discussed. But uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe Will Venable could be the guy. 
Um, apparently, only good things we've heard so far about him. So, yes, that that is coming. That is coming true probably at the end of the season. We will be saying goodbye to Terry Francona's manager, and the Guardians will move in a new direction. And with a lot comes with that. A lot more than we're going to put in this episode. So we will save those discussions for another day. But I did want to acknowledge it because it was it's still pretty big news before this game starts. All right, now let's get into the storylines of this game. Let's try to find some positives here. The storyline of this game is that even though the Guardians did not play their best game, they absolutely were in it until they imploded in the eighth inning. And you could say Trevor Steffen imploded. I think Miles Straw's defense had some big things to do with that. Uh, But it's not like Trevor Steffen put himself in a position to succeed with all the walks and the uh, hit batsmen, uh, you're putting yourself in a position to fail there. And sure enough, he goes up against a contact hitter and fails with a bases-clearing triple. But before that, before that, there was a point in this game where the Guardians take the lead 3-2. to two. They can't win the inning because Minnesota comes right back in the sixth inning and scores off of Matt Moore uh, on a... Uh, on a, a solo home run by Christian Vasquez, where he shoots one down the right field line, um, takes an outside pitch and rides it that way. A pitch that it looked like was called to be down in a way and was up in a way, and it's a serious missing location right there. So, uh, you know, we don't win the inning. Bottom of the fifth to top of six, they tie the game right back up. So we don't have that lead for very long. We have our own opportunity in the bottom of the sixth inning and probably the at-bat of the game is uh, Sonny Gray against Andres Jimenez. Jose Ramirez singles to kick off the inning after a nailer line-out. Calhoun with a weak single, but it gets the job done. Um, and then Andres Jimenez comes up with two runners on. Has a chance. Has a chance to do something big for the Guardians' offense here. And unfortunately, Sonny Gray strikes him out. Uh, a pretty interesting at bat where he was really trying to work his off-speed stuff down and into the left-handed hitter and keep the fastball away. Uh, throws him a sweeper at the knees that he misses with down and in. Throws him a changeup down and in that he misses with. Throws him a four-seam fastball on the outside edge that he fouls off. Throws him another sweeper that he misses down and in with. So he's in a 3-1 count. He's in a hitter's count. And he fouls off a fastball away, maybe just a touch off the plate, but close enough that he goes for it. And then he comes back with a sweeper. This time he hits the strike zone with it. This time he hits the bottom corner with it. And Andres Jimenez swings through it for strike three. He had also struck it out earlier in this game at a pitch at a fastball at the top of the zone. This time he goes down with the breaking ball. Really wanted to get him to swing at that sweeper. Threw it three times in the at-bat. And finally puts one in the strike zone and tempts him enough to swing through it. Now, I went and looked at Andres Jimenez's zones off of on the StatCast page off of right-handed pitchers. And that down and in zone is a place where you can strike him out. In the strike zone, down and in, he struck out eight times. This is versus just right-handed pitchers. Uh, off the plate, down and in, he struck out 17 times. And none of the numbers are good down there. If you, if Andres Jimenez, if you want to see him slug something or hit something with power, it's middle in and middle middle. Those are the spots where he has some power. Um, he can get some base hits from pitches away. A lot of a couple of singles from stuff away middle 
middle uh from stuff middle top bottom center all the middle zones he's got plenty of singles pitches away he's got plenty of singles even off the plate away he's gotten some singles uh so he can hit out there the batting averages aren't terrible out there but the the power and the iso and the slugging all come from middle in and middle middle not down and in uh the numbers plummet down and in and all the strikeouts are down there so um he Sonny Gray picks that location for a reason. That's I'm sure that was in the scouting report against Andres Jimenez. You can go fastball high, or you can go down and in with your breaking stuff. Uh, it's a little surprising that you know he he missed so many times with that pitch in the at bat, and he finally gets one in the strike zone. He risks it again and gets it in the strike zone and gets him to swing through it. Uh, and then you know uh, it still uh, is up to. Uh, Gabriel Arias, after that, uh, he still has a chance in the uh, sixth inning there, and he lines out, unfortunately. Uh, makes decent contact, hits it at 94.2, but an easy line out to end the inning. So the Guardians do have their chance to answer back in the sixth and can't get it done. When the Twins finally have their chance in the eighth inning, they are able to get it done. And that's a theme that's run this entire season. The Guardians just can't find that big hit. They can't find the hit to get it done. In this one, they go 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. Uh, so not many opportunities with runners in scoring position. But still, nobody wants to see an 0 for in that runners in scoring position category in the uh, box score. Meanwhile, on the Minnesota side, they were 3 for 12 with runners in scoring position. And it was enough. It was enough to blow the game wide open. So uh, part of this was the starting pitching matchup that kept us in the game. Neither Bybee or Gray and were as good as when these guys matched up back on August 30th. So basically a week ago, they went head-to-head as well. Uh, back then, Sonny Gray pitched a seven-inning shutout. Tanner Bybee also went five innings and gave up two runs, but he had eight strikeouts in that one. In this game, numbers aren't as good. Gray only goes six innings, gives up three runs, so they, they do do a better job against Sonny Gray. Bybee again goes five innings, again gives up two runs. But this time it's five walks and four strikeouts. And he's hard hit a ton. My God. He was hard at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 times in this game. Last time he faced Minnesota, he was hard hit four times. So, uh, you know. You know what that shows? That shows me that Minnesota made the adjustment. Tanner Bybee, he might not have even had the chance to make the adjustment because he even admits after the game his command, especially of his fastball, was pretty bad. Um, If you look at the illustrator between the two games, it's actually pretty interesting uh, that they they pitched so close back-to-back against each other because we can look at this stuff. And, I mean, the game tonight, the fastball is all over the place. He's missing high with it. He's missing in and out with it. But everything is up. Everything is elevated. Whereas his last outing, he was hitting that lower part of the strike zone. He was attacking uh, all around the edges of the plate with that fastball. Um, last time, that slider was sharp uh, down to the glove side. That changeup was staying on the arm side and really pounding the edge of the plate on that arm side. This time in this game, the changeup is much more middle-middle, much more in the heart of the plate. Uh, So is the slider. Wasn't really burying it away as much. Uh, Left a lot of sliders in the plate. 
Um, so the off-speed stuff is sitting in the middle of the plate. The fastball is nowhere near the plate. Big difference from what he was doing in his last start against Minnesota when he racked up all those strikeouts. Now, on the other side of things, Sonny Gray has a pretty similar start um, with his sweeper, his curveball, so many pitches, his four-seam fastball. Tonight, he's very on the plate. He, he was uh, elevated with his fastball, but pounding the strike zone with his fastball. He could hit the sw- strike zone with his sweeper or throw it down across the zone, sweeping away. He hit the strike zone plenty with his curveball, and it's kind of similar to what he was doing last time. Looks like a few more curveballs tonight, uh, but he was hitting the strike zone, hitting the strike zone with that slider, or with the sweeper, sorry. Um, so a very similar pitch mix. Um, from Sonny Gray across both games. Uh, tonight, when we go to the player breakdown page, no one really was super impressive with their with their breakdown page. Um, once again, the Guardians fouled off a ton of fastballs. They fouled off 11 fastballs and only put five in play. It's not a high whiff rate for Sonny Gray. It's only a 19% whiff rate and a 23% CSW total. And as same for Tanner Bybee. And, you know, the one thing I see here is his velocity and... Uh, Tom Hamilton was all over this early in the game. His velocity was down almost two miles per hour off of his yearly average. He couldn't even hit his yearly average. It was 95.1. He maxed out at 95.0. So almost two miles per hour down. Now, in his last start against the Minnesota Twins, let's see. I remember Hamilton said that his velocity increased as the game went on. Yeah, he averaged 94.8 in that one and maxed out at 97.2. So a big difference there. His minimum speed was almost two miles per hour slower. His average speed was almost two miles per hour slower. So a big difference there from Tanner Bybee uh, when it comes to fastball velocity. And I'm not surprised that the command was struggling too. Um, Not a high whiff rate. 22% whiff rate for him. 24% CSW total. So not a great start across the board for Tanner Bybee. But he keeps them in the game. He keeps them in the game. He gives up two runs in that first inning and then is able to put up zeros for the next four innings. They weren't always pretty. Like we said, those walks are a big problem. In fact, the first run of the game to come across is via the walk, a two-out walk to Royce Lewis, then doubled by Max Kepler, then Correa with the single, and suddenly it's 2-0 before I didn't even realize it. I mean, I was listening to Hamilton, but I, you know, we were trying to figure out where we were. We were driving to pick up some dinner, and I, honest to God, I... I didn't even realize they'd score two runs. You know, you get distracted in the car sometimes. And uh, I check my phone. I'm like, wait, when did those runs happen? I had the game on the radio. Somehow Tom Hamilton can just kind of fade into the background sometimes. I've just listened to him so much. Um, He walks the two leadoff hitters to start the second inning and gets out of it. The strikeout saves him here, a strikeout of Edward Julian. And then Polanco lines out. Uh, to end the second inning at 99.4 miles per hour. So uh, that's one of the hard-hit balls that he was getting up, the 12 hard-hit balls he gave up. So, I mean, really walking the tightrope in that second inning. My God, lucky to escape that second inning. Uh, shuts him down 1-2-3 in the third. In the fourth inning, it's another. Uh, it's a two-out walk this time, which is not as bad. He's able to get the ground out to save him. And then in the fifth inning, uh, a double and a single. So now he's really in some trouble here. But uh, a strikeout to Max Kepler, a walk to Carlos Correa. This all came with uh, one out. It started with one out. 
the double, the single, then the strikeout, two outs, the walk to create a load, the bases, and then Donovan Solano hits into a force out. Again at 99 miles per hour, but hits into a force out to get him out of things. So, Bybee admitted after the game, the whole the whole night felt like a struggle, the whole night felt like a battle, but I think we got to give him some credit. I, and this is... This is part of being that ace and that responsibility of being the ace. And even on your best night, he finds a way to go five innings and only give up two runs. I I think he deserves a little bit of a pat on the back for that one. It impressed me with the moxie uh, he shows in that one. And then on the offensive side of things, it was all the bottom of the order doing things. Arias and uh, Naylor had your extra base hits on the game. Arias with a double that leads to a run. In the fifth inning, Bo Naylor with a two-run home run to answer in the third. I'm sure that felt great for Bybee to know that the game was back tied up, that his work was, you know, for purpose. The offense was able to come through for him. Bo Naylor, impressive, doing it on an 0-2 pitch. And they tried to go high with a fastball. And they tried to get him to go up the ladder and chase a fastball. And they left it. Uh, Gray leaves it at the top of the strike zone. This is to kick off the third inning, too. A single by Brennan. And then Naylor hits this one at 104.7 miles per hour. It's only a 21-degree launch angle. It's kind of a line drive missile. Uh, 19 out of 30 ballparks. This would have been a home run in. So a nice job by Bo Naylor of uh, recognizing the high fastball and the bat speed to catch up to it and uh, drive it out at 104.7. So it's an impressive swing from Bo Naylor. Uh, and it was needed. I mean, a, a much-needed thing. The, the offense needed a jolt, and Naylor has provided a jolt. Uh, he really has. Uh, I love looking at these recent numbers for both Naylor and for uh, Gabriel Arias because they're they're showing me guys that are figuring it out and guys I'm really, really excited to see coming back next year. So over his last 15 games, he's hitting 342. With over, what is that, almost an 11, 1200 OPS. And uh, yeah, over a 1200 OPS. And then over his last seven games, it's up to 353. The slugging is up almost another 40 points. And uh, he's got near a 1300 OPS. Over a 1300 OPS. So really, really coming on strong in the last two weeks uh, for Bo Naylor. So. He's got four home runs over his last 15 games and nine RBIs. That's good stuff. And, and you know what? He's being patient. They mentioned this when he walked earlier in the game. Over his last 15 games, it's six walks to eight strikeouts. That's a really good ratio. Uh, and over his last seven games, it's actually more walks than strikeouts. Four walks to three strikeouts. So someone who is really, really starting to figure it out and put things together. So... Anytime Bo Naylor is up to bat for the rest of this season, it's kind of must-see TV. Uh, So the home run and the walk, he's on base twice tonight. The two RBIs were huge early in the game. So yeah, the bottom of the lineup, uh, getting a lot of things done. Brennan also had two hits on the night. Uh, It's just what Brennan is. He's he's not going to have a high on base percentage because he doesn't doesn't walk at all. Doesn't walk at all. All, but the batting average will always be somewhat respectable. I mean, he's hitting 268, Quan's hitting 269. Uh, but Quan's got a 708 OPS 
whereas Brennan's only got a 663 OPS. And I'm guessing that's because the on-base percentage is probably a little better for Quan than it is for Will Brennan. You know what? We've got the internet. Let's double-check that. Why not? Now, Brennan has about half the at-bats uh, that Quan does, but uh, Brennan's carrying a 298 on-base percentage, whereas Quan's carrying a 335. So, yeah, it does make a big difference. In fact, uh, Quan is actually slugging better than him, too. 365 slugging for Brennan, 373 slugging for Quan. So, even though the batting averages are very similar, you can see how there are significant differences. Quan has drawn 54 walks to 66 strikeouts, uh, whereas Brennan's only 12 walks to 51 strikeouts. It's a big difference right there. Big, big difference right there. So, and for the walk rate, Brennan is in the first percentile in all of Major League Baseball, uh, whereas Quan is in the 54th percentile. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, that's something Brennan's going to have to work on if, if he wants to stick around here. So, those are some of the positives. All right, now let's talk about this eighth inning because this is where it all falls, falls apart. Matt Moore does give up a solo home run, uh, so they tie the game back up. Ronaldo Lopez is able to shut them down. Uh, in the uh, seventh inning. So we go into that eighth inning with a tie game. I had checked. I was doing a fantasy football draft tonight and uh, with a bunch of uh, friends in, in the area. And so I was pretty distracted tonight. But I did check my phone. I saw we were tied 3-3 going into the eighth. Um, you know, I always give you full disclosure if I don't watch the game in detail. Uh, but I definitely went back and watched all the highlights of this because the next time I check my phone, we're down 8-3. to And I'm going, what? What happened? Who imploded? Oh, Trevor Steffen. Trevor Steffen imploded. And like we said, the walks are brutal. His final line is uh, two-thirds of an innings pitch, three hits, five runs, two walks, a hit batsman, one strikeout. He's only hard hit once. Uh, that wasn't the problem. The walks were absolutely the problem. And uh, I, I don't know if we'll find another game where it's this bad for uh, Trevor Steffen this season. I'm looking quickly, and this is definitely the most runs he's given up. Uh, for the entire month of August, he only gave up two runs. He had a, uh, a 1.38 ERA for the month of August. For September, he's got a 20.25 ERA. So uh, a huge difference uh, a month can make. But in three appearances so far in September, it's not going great. And, uh, yeah, five, uh, five earned runs. There's three hits the most hits. Now he's given up that. He did get that up to the Texas Rangers. He got blown up by the Texas Rangers in that series post-All-Star break where he gave up three hits and four runs in that one. Uh, he also had two walks in that outing. So that was probably his second worst outing of the season. Uh, yes, he hadn't given up three hits in any other appearance this season. So, it gets pretty ugly for uh, for Trevor Steffen, but but uh, honestly, putting all those walks, the wild pitch, uh, letting the first run come in, not great. But the uh, the triple given up to Donovan Solano after he had already let a run come across the score. Um, here's the thing. I think that uh, Straw made a really bad play in center field, and it really cost uh, Trevor Steffen big time. I mean, the bases are loaded. Straw has to know 
has to know that he has to knock this thing down. No matter what happens with the catch, he has to knock the ball down. And if you remember the movie Major League, which has come up a lot recently, the famous line for Roger Dorn is, Dorn, don't give me any more of that old lay. And I'm, you know, I won't finish it. I know kids listen to this sometimes. Um, and that's exactly what Straw gave you in center field was the that Olay stuff, right? You know, the, the old bullfighters with the red cape off to the side. That's exactly what he's referencing in the movie. Don't catch it off to your side. Get your body in front of it. Now, normally in that situation, we would probably see an outfielder when you're coming straight in like that. Diving straight ahead would be the risky play. Taking it off to the side like that and trying to scoop it like a first baseman. Look at his head. He's not even looking. He's trying to do a blind scoop at it. The safer play would actually be to slide, to go into a baseball slide. You'd be able to keep your body in front of it. You'd be able to get your glove underneath it. That's the move. That's the move in center field. But Strahd doesn't go into the slide. Instead, he tries to stay on his feet, tries to run this down, and tries to catch the one hop with some of that Olay stuff. And the ball goes past him all the way to the at least the warning track or the wall. I don't remember where it stopped rolling. And it clears the bases. It's a bases-clearing triple for Solano. And Stefan's ERA skyrockets, and the Guardians essentially are. They're out of the game. They got, they got six more outs left in the game. But at that point, 8-3, to three, they were pretty much done for. And, yeah, so I blame Miles Straw's defense. I, I, believe, I blame Stefan for, for creating the situation, and I blame Straw's defense for letting the situation devolve into the mess that it was. He, I, it's not good enough. It's not good enough from him. He hasn't hit well enough to play defense that bad. They've got to come up with something to center field next year. They, they've got to find an answer in center field. How many of these teams have star center fielders? I know Straw has made some amazing catches. He makes one earlier in the game where he's backpedaling to the wall and reaches up and snags one. So did really Castro while I'm mentioning it in left field for the Minnesota Twins. But... It's it's not enough, man. We Center field, we've got to find an answer in center field. We've been searching so long to find a guy in center field that could be a star both offensively and defensively. You need production from your outfielders. All three of them can't be light-hitting uh, defensive first guys. So... A lot to work out there. Uh, in the eighth inning, it's just, it's it's a disaster. So um, that's kind of all my thoughts on this one. Uh, I, I wish there was more. I wish there was another good Guardians rally. We already talked about the chance in the sixth inning. That was really the moment. That, that was the do or die moment, and Andres Jimenez couldn't get it done. Him and, I, you know, Arias had a chance with two outs. It wasn't a terrible swing, but an easy catch for their outfield. And uh, they can't get the job done with two runners on. So uh, let's go to uh, some of the messages we got. And we actually uh, heard from someone we haven't heard from in a while since the middle of the season. Uh, Emily in Alaska reached out. Uh, She hit me up on Twitter. She said, hey, Davey, I was bummed yesterday, but today I'm at peace. Postseason run is over for us, but I'm still going to enjoy the games for another month. Thanks for the show and all you do. Go Guards, Emily in Alaska. I think we all can learn a lesson from Emily right there. I honestly, that's that, you know, it's an okay attitude to have on a day like this. 
yes, and technically we are not eliminated from postseason contention yet, but that magic number is increasing every day for the Minnesota Twins, and it's coming very close to the end for us. But I like her positively, her positivity, and yeah, uh, we still get to watch our team play for another month. You know, before football season completely takes over our lives, before basketball season. You know, I was a big cat. I'm a big Cavs fan, so I, I do have that during the winter. But yeah, it's always sad when baseball season comes to an end. So let's enjoy this last month, and uh, let's let's hope that we keep finding the positive. So thank you, Emily in Alaska. Uh, keep joining us on the show. Keep messaging in. We appreciate it. And then we got uh, our email from Marlin in Birmingham, and uh, you know, I really like this email from Marlin. It's a different tone from Marlin. Starts with a similar tone. What a disappointing and painful loss for the Guardians. It's shocking that the Guardians entered the series with a 6-4 and record versus the Twins, but are now on the brink of getting swept. It's ironic and kind of poetic that the Guardians put the nail in Minnesota's coffin in a series sweep last September. One year later, the Twins have flipped the script and returned the favor. Yeah, if you don't think these teams are rivals, these, these teams seem to be playoff rivals over the last half decade. Like, they really seem to be going at it for that American League Central title. Uh, it's one thing that in in radical, like if they ever do radical realignment and they kind of you know, add two more teams and, and kind of break things up more regionally, um, where, you know, Cleveland a lot of times has been shown in being in a division with like Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati or Detroit, Pittsburgh, and, and, and Toronto or some combination like that. Um, it would be a shame to lose these games against the Minnesota Twins. The White Sox have also been a rival, but that's, man, that's that's a little uglier as we can all see from the fight that happened on the field. Like, the, the, the fighting with the Minnesota Twins has been about who is the better team. And the Twins win in their way, which is hitting home runs and scoring a lot of runs, and the Guardians win in their way, which is about having superior pitching for most, most seasons. And uh, it's been very competitive between the two teams. So it is interesting that they flipped the script on us like that. Um, He goes on to say how basically we're we're buried. uh, And uh, and this season's pretty much coming to an end. Uh, And then hits on Trevor Steffen pretty much. When the team needed Steffen the most, he was a no-show tonight. That was very disappointing. Yet on par for the 2023 Guardians. Curious to see what changes, if any, this front office has the courage to make. It's obvious that changes, more than Tito resigning, retiring, need to be made. The front office and underperforming players should be held accountable for this mess of a season. Will you have any off-season podcast to give your thoughts about any changes that should be made or transactions that have occurred? Yes, we still podcast during the off-season. I tend there's some milestones throughout the off-season. Uh, you know, the winter meetings. Um, some of the award stuff that happens and anytime there's a big transaction, you're gonna, I'm going to get on the microphone and I'm going to talk with you, but it definitely slows down during the off season. I tend to do it maybe once a month during the off season, just to keep the feed fresh, just to keep talking baseball with my friends, the morning people. And, uh, usually we ramp things back up in spring training with weekly episodes before we get back to, uh, these episodes in season. So yes, Marlon, I, Definitely, we'll still be talking, and we will. We we can talk through these changes. I don't like to get too much of a, you know. I don't like to be a prognosticator because trying to figure out where this front office is going as far as free agency and trades go, that's just 
that's filler. That's that's morning radio filler. That's not actual content. So I like to wait to see what plays out and give you actual content. Just like we did where we broke down Giolito, Moore, and Lopez and figured out what the Guardians were getting, right? That's real content. Uh, morning radio, I get they got to stay on the air every day. Um, and they got to bring you some of that filler stuff. But uh, they really, really don't know how to talk baseball on morning radio. He says, I, Marlon continues, I appreciate the efforts by the rookies and Bybee, Allen, X-Man, Big Rig, Bo Naylor, and Arias. It was because of them that they lasted this long in the division race. And should 100% keep their heads up because they gave it everything they had. No rookie should ever have to shoulder the load as much as these guys did this year. I'm hoping this team will try to end the season on a high note instead of mailing it in the last three and a half weeks remaining in the season. Then Marlon continues, Davey, I want to thank you for all your hard work with this podcast and creating such a cool environment for all Guardians fans. This podcast is such an enjoyable listening experience for us fans, even on tough nights like this. When the team lays an egg. Also, thank you for your interaction with all of us fans and listeners of Cleveland Baseball Mornings. It's nice to have a place to email and interact with fellow Guardians fans. Also, I'd like to give a quick shout out to other listeners such as Jeff from Columbus, Jeff with a G, and Jeff from Palo Alto. I've enjoyed hearing their thoughts on this team as well. Marlon in Birmingham. Well, thank you, Marlon. That's very nice to hear. I, I appreciate the support. Uh, I mean, shout out to Marlon and, and the Jeffs and uh, everybody else. Tony with his quick, short emails. Uh, your emails do. They they do. They challenge me. They add some interesting thoughts at the end of the episode. I know sometimes I summarize your emails a little bit because you should see the novels that Marlon can write. I, I'm surprised Marlon doesn't have his own Guardians blog at this point because he can fill up an email. Um, so just for, you know to speed up the podcast just a little bit. Um, I try my best to get through everything and hit all your major points. And I really do. When I, when I first created this show, uh, I wanted it to be a place where fans could come together and talk, uh, and have our own place to talk. And, uh, I'll try to, I just try to do what I do and keep, uh, keep this rolling for you. So thank you, Marlon, for everything you've done this season and for emailing in. And, uh, thank you for shouting out the other emailers too. Because uh, we do appreciate all the contributions we get on this show. So that's Marlon's email. The only thing left to do is tell you MVP on the day. And uh, I'm going with Bo Naylor. The two-run home run was a big shot in the arm. It was a big spark in the bottom of that third inning. It, uh, it renewed a lot of confidence in that ballpark. Unfortunately, there just wasn't another big rally behind it to uh, really take the momentum of the game. But... A great job by Bo Naylor. Again, on an 0-2 count, which does impress me even a little bit more. So, uh, Bo Naylor taking home MVP on the day. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. There is more baseball to go, so stick with me. We're going to keep talking about it every night. Every night they play, we'll be here. The final again, it's Minnesota 8, the Guardians 3. We will wrap up this series uh, tomorrow with a day game, so... We'll see what the Guardians can do if they have any kind of answer in them. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email a show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Morning.